0: Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore.
1: We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral relevant across disciplines and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you wanna get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey.
0: A journey to career enlightenment.
1: So let's take
0: a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, Graph.NerdJourney.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Here we are in episode 223.
1: John, if I recall, you were telling us that you'd like to share some impressions of being a first-time manager. I feel like it's a good time. How about you?
0: Yeah, I think uh, it's a great idea. If nothing else, like it'd be like a pretty cool record later on. Um, for me to be able to go back and, and listen to. Um, but I hope it's helpful for other people who are thinking about going into this line of work. I, I thought I knew what I was getting into, and you know, to a certain degree, um, I did, and to a certain degree, I didn't. So there's, uh, there's that. <laughs> right. So this would be
1: John's audio log of the first several weeks.
0: I like it. Yeah. I should say that as we're recording, I am in the little, middle of, week nine as a manager at Nutanix. It's been a whirlwind. It's been exciting. A lot of information and really cool at the same time. So uh, let's get into it. Let's do it. So first of all, I should note, you know, kind of chronologically, you know, onboarding. Onboarding as a manager was basically no different from onboarding as a Individual contributor. Nutanix had a first day, you know, first week schedule for me. There was training that I went to that was basically the sales engineering training. Um, so I was in the class with a bunch of individual contributor uh, sales engineers, and we learned about the Nutanix technology stack and played with their hosted POC labs, uh, proof of concept labs, got to Play with the actual products and tools and deploy them, mess around with them, break them, fix them.
1: That's the fun part, getting in there and tinkering with the products. I love it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was the first time that I'd ever done it. I I knew you know, conceptually what it was all about, but it was fascinating to see. A little bit shocking, actually. They worked pretty hard to make it easy to use, and I could see that as a first-time user so that was really cool it was a cool experience there's also the pilot of a new manager program that started uh i would say in week five that just happened to be when it was starting i don't think that they were you know specifically targeting running once a month or anything like that it it's a multi-week program we meet once a week there's homework between sessions You know, a lot of coaching about the job of being a manager and how it's different from being a, I don't know, a tech lead on a team.
1: Are you doing the homework? That's the first thing I want to know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm actually doing the homework.
1: That's good. Make (laughs) sure you turn that in on time.
0: It's funny. We actually had a conversation that mimicked one of the uh, previous conversations that we had about Oh my goodness. I don't remember exactly what I called it, but like a, a user manual. Operating manual for the self? In the Kristen Carter episodes? That's it. I believe that was episode 217, but Christian Carter was 216 and 217. Well, they introduced a tool that very closely mirrored that tool. This is what I'm good at. This is how I effectively communicate. This is when I run into challenges. And they encourage us to kind of fill it out and then introduce it to our teams and have them you know kind of go through the process of filling it out and and sharing that with each other. It was really cool that's pretty neat, yeah, so I'm still in the middle of that process of going through that first time manager program with a cohort of other first time managers really enjoying that it's a it's a remote program unfortunately, so we don't get to meet in person, but hopefully we can do things to maintain ourselves as a community and cohort of peer supporting first time managers.
1: And is this, would this be your peers within the country or even across the world?
0: I think it's in country. Yeah. Because they've talked about piloting this program in other regions. So I'm pretty sure that it is in country. So that's like, I guess, chronologically the, the things that I'm running into about joining a new company first of all that you know was a little bit not really as differentiated as you know joining a company as an individual contributor you onboard you're studying the products that the company puts out and you're meeting teammates meeting your peers and i guess one extra step as a manager is you're meeting the people who report to you all of that got kind of jammed into the first week and then you know, the managerial onboarding started a little bit later. Um, so I had a good month of just handling that. So that's, I guess, kind of my f- first observations about joining in, was that there was good support to try to teach me some of the things that I would need. Couldn't all be jammed into the first week. I mean, that's unreasonable, especially the first-time manager stuff. I had done some studying ahead of time, so some of the things that they were teaching were things that I was already implementing and some of them aren't so that was you know I'm getting useful information and tools out of it all the time. Uh, that's good to hear
1: and you had not previously met members of the team that works for you within in the process I know we talked about that that last week it's not super normal for a potential manager to meet his or her direct reports in the interview process necessarily or potential direct reports.
0: Yeah, it didn't happen for me, and now that I think about it, it hasn't happened where I've met a manager or a potential manager before they join a team, but that's my personal experience, so if that had happened, it would have been atypical in my experience, but I don't know if that's atypical in the world. My second observation about being a manager is the overhead of having a lot of meetings. As a manager... I started out with 30-minute one-on-one meetings with each of the people who reported to me and found out that either through my inefficiency or whatever, I was running out of time. So I extended that to 45 minutes, which required a little bit of calendar shuffling or a lot of calendar shuffling. But I have nine reports. So that's 45 minutes times nine. I also have team meetings, like a team meeting, a weekly meeting with the entire team. And then I'm covering two different sales managers teams. So I have all of their weekly team meetings to attend as well with the extended sales team, the salespeople, along with the sales engineers, along with field marketing, channel sales managers etc cetera, etc cetera. every you know specialist sales everybody who joins in or is invited to those meetings but then i have my managers meeting right the director that i report to and she has a meeting with her team every other week and then there's also a sales leadership team for the region so that's the vice president of sales that the two regional directors of sales that i work with report to that's another i guess bi-weekly or weekly meeting. And then I have forecast meetings with all of those teams as well because we're a sales organization. And and that all adds up to probably pushing 20 hours of meetings a week.
1: I'll add one more in there. You have a slot for a one-on-one with your boss directly, right?
0: Oh, yeah. I yeah, That's true. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, that's another another meeting.
1: You know, whether it's 30 minutes or an
0: hour or however frequent. Absolutely. And then the thing that I've probably been slacking on is there's two people who offered to, to mentor me and I have not put weekly 30 minute meetings with them on my calendar yet, but I should because they're both really smart, observant and experienced managers that I could probably be learning a lot of, a lot from. So it's just me being neglectful and, and honestly not having the brain space to, just add that meeting to my calendar. Juggling calendars is a, is a little bit rough uh, because I'm talking about two people who also have approximately that many hours of meetings and aren't necessarily in my time zone. And, uh, oh yeah, I should mention, or maybe I did or didn't, but one-on-one meetings with each of the sales directors that I partner with. So that's where 20 hours of meetings a week comes from. And uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot when... I also need to have, you know, take time to learn stuff, to have my actual deliverables. Like, you know, I have a lot of outputs from each of those meetings, things that I need to get done and that I owe people. And so I have only half the week to actually do that. The other half of the week I'm in meetings. It's not something that I anticipated. I didn't really do the math on that.
1: Right. On how much time you'd actually be able to do stuff independently versus... Participate in other discussions. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think part of that might work out better with time. I might become more skilled and efficient with one-on-one meetings with my reports and learn to get the discussions that we need to have into 30 minutes instead of 45 minutes. But for right now, while I don't have the skill to to do that, I... Cannot let me actually talk about that because you know, this is like another observation. I think I've had is I had a very quick sudden ramp up to an emotional investment in the success of the team and the individuals in the team. I know that as a manager of these people, I expected to be invested in their success and I expected that to be you know true intellectually but I didn't realize how quickly that I would become emotionally invested in their successes as individuals and as a team it's not something that I expected to happen or anticipated happening and it happened very very quickly
1: right cuz you take ownership in the in the team and the people indivi- individually
0: yeah as as a partner right i think Maybe I need to own the team culture and the team aspect of that, or at least be the guardian of it and the director, because individuals are contributing to that, like the execution of that culture, you know, just as much as I am, if not more so, because there's more of them. But it's the individual relationships that normally nine weeks into knowing somebody and we get to meet, you know, maybe... An hour or two a week that I wouldn't be as attached to their success and their careers as I have become. Their success has become just extremely important to me. I don't know. Maybe I need to step back from that. I'm not sure.
1: Well, I think that's aligning with a sense of purpose and making an impact and it brings you meaning. That's what I'm hearing.
0: That is true. It is like a strong sense of purpose, like it's my primary job function Mm -hmm. is their success as individuals and as a team. And I think that it has surprised me again, like the emotional part of that intellectual part, of course, but the emotional part, you know, being emotionally invested in them is surprising. I don't know what else to say other than it was surprising. (laughs) Um, You can say love your team, John. It's okay. You can say it on air. (laughs) We're, you know, it's, I can't say, hey, we're like the closest of friends at week nine. Right. And I'm not even sure that good friends is like, is a smart thing to even aim for, but emotionally invested in is something that happened right away. Just very, very quickly. There you go. I don't know if I'm embarrassed by that or shocked, but I guess it just makes me feel vulnerable to say it out loud. But, you know, these are like extremely competent, hardworking people who have a difficult, ambiguous task to do. And it is thrilling and infuriating at times to be in that job. And I just want them to all do really well and and know that I have their backs, you know, it's, I, I don't know exactly how to tell them that except in those words. And, you know, I have, and then it takes time for me to actually, you know, back that up. Anybody can say words, right? It's, it's the actions to, to back that up that, that matters. So I think that I don't know what else to say about that. It is just something that's happened and it's something that I've observed and. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time mm-hmm. and um, how it affects me over time. I think the next thing that I noticed was the reality of being one step removed from the business of helping to sell product. I say that and it sounds like super obvious, but my job as a sales engineer was already one step removed from the actual sales process right i wasn't negotiating price i wasn't you know saying like here's the the discount that we can get you if you're at this volume like how do i find out your process of signing for purchase orders like any of those types of things it was already with at the technical level
1: yeah well you're validating is this going to work is this
0: the right thing exactly so it was already technical validation of solutions. It was making suggestions. It was building technical relationships, but now I'm not doing that. I am helping a team of people who are actually doing that work. So it is rare when I will be called in to build and maintain a relationship. Again, intellectually, I knew that that was going to happen. and the reality of it happening is different is a different experience than I expected. So in that
1: light, do you feel like you miss the fairly frequent customer interaction
0: or has your customer just changed? I think the latter is true and the former is also true. Um, I miss the very specific type of customer interaction that you have as a sales engineer. And I also do have a new set of customers who are my reports and to a certain degree, you know, the upstream sales organization. It is something that still happens. I still go to events or meet customers or, you know, ride along with the people who report to me, but it's them owning the relationships and me taking a back seat and. Being directed by them in those situations, right? They know what their customer needs from me and they know what they need from me in front of their customer. I don't have the relationship. I don't have the insight. I don't have the context to be able to say, well, this is the right thing for me to say. This is the wrong thing for me to say. This is the right thing for me to ask. This is the wrong thing. So I have to rely on their insight to really, you know, direct me in those interactions. And then, kind of run with that. I know, you know, what the right thing to say, you know, from the company standpoint is, you know, what we should be doing, you know, ethically, you know, taking uh, responsibility for the things that we do and not making promises that we can't keep and, and things like that. But, you know, that's different from these people need to hear this message this way. And that kind of First hand knowledge of how people react. You know, it's rare that I'm in front of a customer where I'm the one who is important in the meeting. That probably shouldn't happen that often. But if I am in the meeting, it's still super important for me to have as much context as possible from the team who owns that relationship. You know, and now my responsibility is not one or two sales territories it's you know it spans all of the sales territories across two two sales regions you know so there's no one customer that i'm going to be close with immediately you know i might be asked to get close to a specific person at a specific customer if they need a message from a certain level or they need to have a relationship at a certain level they might ask me to do that but they might not you know it might happen it might not happen <laughs> you know again in those situ- situations i'm one step removed right i'm i'm there to deliver a message or to to own a relationship you know for a period of time and then slowly transition it back to the team that really owns that relationship in the long term it's it's a, like i said it's an interesting thing to intellectually know that that's going to happen and a different thing to know, to experience it. Right. Yeah. To, to have so many sales territories that I am covering from a high level that I don't necessarily remember the particulars about more than a few of them and, and not even the territories. It's more like a few customers.
1: This is the matrix effect. No one can be told what the matrix is, John. You have to see it for yourself. It's the same thing (laughs) for trying to get all the information you can from people who've had kids. They can tell you all the stuff, but until you experience it, you don't 100% know, just like we talked about before until you do the job, you haven't lived it. Yeah, it's very true. And that's not a knock on anyone, but you're in the matrix, which is awesome.
0: And I think like we mentioned, uh, Last week and the week before, I just remember what Don Jones said was your your success is dependent upon other people, and you don't know if today was a good day or not, and you might not know for a while. Don said it, and now I'm living it, and it's a different experience. It's a different experience. I have some tactical things that I noticed too. Owning a team meeting agenda, for example, having productive in meaningful meetings, meetings that are adding value to people's week instead of, you know, just taking up time for the sake of taking up time, having fruitful team discussions that are bringing important information to the forefront and, you know, having people share their experiences and, and advice and, and things like that. Like being able to run an effective meeting like that is a skill And I'm not sure that I knew that it was. I I mean, again, intellectually, I could have told you that it was, but the process of owning it every single week is different from, oh, hey, it's time for the team meeting. I'm showing up and what are we talking about this week? Right. That's
1: another homework assignment.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. Another tactical point of view or tactical observation We started performance reviews and, you know, I'd written performance reviews for people before and it is a different thing to have an entire team's performance reviews be your responsibility. It is daunting to to realize that that is the case and, you know, going into the process, I didn't know the criteria by which they're being evaluated, right? There should be some kind of objective criteria to say you're doing a good job at your job because you're meeting, you know, the following things, right? And I didn't know what those things were. I could tell you what the job was, but how do you evaluate how, whether somebody's doing the job well or not? You know, I knew the Google methodology for people to explain up the chain of command, how they're doing, how they're contributing. But that's one company's vision, and so I had to go and search to understand what Nutanix's vision was, and how they're evaluating sales engineers. And that was a journey, you know, of me finding that out. And it didn't happen the first week into <laughs> performance review season. It happened like I don't know, maybe a week ago, a week and a half ago. You know, somebody's like, "Man, it would sure would be great if we had." like if we knew the criteria that we were being evaluated by, and I was like, man, that would be important for me to know too. Hold on. (laughs) And which
1: ones map to the next job level?
0: Absolutely. Which of these behaviors or skills should you have? And then how are they, you know, what should they look like at, you know, the regular sales engineer? What should they look at, you know, at the senior and the, you know, senior plus one and senior plus two? You know, all of those things are really important to know because if somebody wants to be promoted, then they should be, you know, saying, here's all of the job skills that I have there that are at the next level up level, right? And I'm already doing, performing that level of work. And so making sure that everybody had that information when I am like the person who's been at the company the, the least long time was daunting. Like, you know, where do I go look? Like, you know, my search of the intranet didn't turn up anything. Like, where else should I be going? And and it took some, you know, question asking for me to, to find all those things. And it ended up that it was, I think, it was a process that was changing. So I kind of, maybe that was why. But um, getting trained on it and then incorporating, you know, those evaluation criteria into our kind of, one-on-one sessions, so that you know we had a at least one meeting every month th- where we're talking about those criteria and saying you know checking in, checking in and saying like, hey, are you trying to move from you know your current level to your current level plus one in this you know job skill area? Like, what are you doing? Like, what can I do to help you? Like, what w- if you aren't trying to move up? What are you trying to do? And Again, as we discussed, it's fine to be in a place where you're like, hey, I, with my life the way it is, like all I can handle is kind of treading water and getting trained on new products and new advances in the current products. And, you know, I can't also work on all these skills and I just need to, to tread water for a little while like that. You know, I've been there, you know, I was there last year when my daughter was born. You know, I had all my brain space taken up by that. <laughs> so. You know, but finding out where each person is, making sure that I document that so I know that, you know, consistently like checking in with each person so that what I think is, you know, the position that they're in and what they think (laughs) they told me or, you know, what they're trying to tell me is like making sure that we're on the same page. And then now that we both understand that, what what are we both doing about that? So if somebody says, well, my goal is to get promoted to the next level, how do we turn that into an actionable plan? And then can we incorporate that plan into our monthly one-on-one check-in, which is about career progress or just career because it doesn't have to be progress. It can just be about career.
1: Right. Yay for having career conversations with your manager. Episode 45.
0: I don't know if other people formalize that process. You know, I just, I think I just assumed that it was the case and didn't know exactly how things were done before and, you know, just added that in. Maybe that was a small change that I made in the first 30 days, which maybe I should have waited on, but I just didn't think that I had the time to. And it ended up that I didn't because we had to do performance reviews. <laughs> Another thing that's happened a little bit. On a tactical basis, is that I had a person uh, resign and move to a different company, which was a really good thing for that person. And I tried to tell them, you know, I was fully supportive of them and their move in their career and asked what I could do to help with that. And uh, that was unexpected. But it is part of the job for me to hire people, right? So then I had to start a cycle of getting approval to hire somebody, and then recruit for the position, do interviews, um, you know, initial screening interviews, informational interviews, um, and then the formal interview process. And there ended up being like a little bit of pressure to hire somebody like quickly, just because like we were passing a uh financial quarter boundary, and every time you do that, like, you know, you're going to get budgets examined, right? So it's a little bit easier to remove funding for a position when nobody's hired in that position than it is if there's been an offer extended, you know, to somebody. So um I just couldn't, it was probably a 30-day gap between when I got my Approval to hire somebody, and when they were kind of looking for all positions to have an offer out, so I couldn't meet that boundary. But it was a little bit of added pressure that I hadn't anticipated was an issue. So it was kind of uh, a little bit unnerving to know that you know that could happen. the The process of interviewing people when I'm the one responsible for the outcome and the performance of the person is a little bit different from being emotionally separate from their performance if that person is hired. So at Google, I did a lot of interviews with prospective sales engineers, customer engineers that were called at Google, and, you know, I was just kind of evaluating them. Do I think that they could do the job? Is that, you know, are they talking in a way that makes sense to me as, you know, a specific level of sales engineer of a specific seniority is that matching what they're saying and so on and so forth but it it was different from this person is going to report to me and I'm going to oversee their progress and be held responsible ultimately if they were you know if they don't pan out you know and you know that would probably be disastrous for them you know as part of their careers to join the company, and then find out that it just wasn't a good fit. Yeah, a little bit different than being, I guess, professionally detached from the interview process, which is probably why Google did it the way they did it. So people were professionally detached from evaluating the people.
1: So do you get to define the process steps as the manager? Or was there something given to you from above, like this is the flow and number of rounds you need to use? Uh, I've always wondered how much flexibility there is in that because I've heard different managers want different things in different ways.
0: I think there is a template of the way things are normally done. And then probably the manager has the ability to say, You know, I'm going to bypass, you know, this part or this part just because of time constraints or because the people and the role don't justify that specific step.
1: Or I want to add this step because it's needed for this role.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So it's a slow process and I did way more, I think, informational interviews than I thought that I would do. It's, uh, it's a role. The sales engineer is a role that people don't know about. So they see engineer and they see systems, because I think it's the official title of systems engineer, and they don't necessarily know what the role does. So you can read the description, and that's different from having somebody tell you what you're responsible for and why the role exists, right? Sure. Outside of already having done the job of, or already being in a sales organization and understanding that role. So I did a lot of interviews that were just about that. And then kind of talking in general about the profile of person that I was looking for, you know, which is, I think probably pretty standard, either experience in the, in the product or uh, a product like it, you know, a competitive product in the marketplace or experience as a sales engineer, you know, where you, constantly have to learn about new products or new versions of products. And this is just a slightly heavier lift.
1: So you gave them the relatable experience requirements that you wanted. I like it. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. That just makes my heart happy. (laughs) You know, like A plus, John. Well,
0: it doesn't make sense to keep it a secret, right? No. And it also is the case like that every experienced sales engineer had their first job as a sales engineer where they weren't an experienced sales engineer. Mm-hmm. So you want to be open to people who don't have experience as a sales engineer, right? Yep. It's an interesting position to be in. I just uh, remember the people who first hired me and gave me a chance you know, in the role, the people who thought that I could do it, and the people who encouraged me to leave my operations job. I mean, there's just a long chain of people that got me here. And each of them, you know, kind of took a look at me and said, oh yeah, you should move on to the next step. Heck, the hiring manager that hired me for this job. Now I'm in somebody else's chain, right? Like right. as that, you know, potentially the one to, you know, hire them from, you know, this SE position to a Nutanix SE position or um, from an operational position into a Nutanix position as a sales engineer or from like a competing product or an associated product to Nutanix as a sales engineer and it's just you know the potential impact on these people's lives yeah that's daunting becoming like now i know that i'm going to become emotionally invested in the person's success because that's something that's happened to me so sure it's you know another aspect to the to the hiring process is like evaluating um i probably should examine that, whether that makes sense, um, or if that's just a a hindrance.
1: Well, I only have one piece of advice in this area. Don't Mm -hmm. try and start a podcast with those people, because you're going to run out of time,
0: eventually. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one of the things that I've realized is that I have to rely on multiple points of view. It can't just be my point of view. I can't be the only one evaluating them for everything. I have to put them through a process where I'm talking to them, but I have other people who are not me with their backgrounds, not mine, their points of view, not mine, who can ask them questions which are not the questions that I'm asking them and be able to give me a different point of view. That is pretty important. Just so, you know, ultimately, it's still, you know, my responsibility to say, I think this is the person that we should hire, but to get other people's points of view and input into that decision so that I know that, you know, it's not solely me who has done the evaluation from beginning to end. That wouldn't make any sense. Well, what do you think, Nick? Do you think you want to become a manager someday? I am currently undecided, but so far I'm (laughs) like, "Mm,
1: I don't know. Let me go. Let me go do that first thing you talked about and play with the technology. Like that's <laughs> that's what got my attention.
0: Yeah, it's really cool to be able to play with the technology. That's that's always something that's fun to do.
1: Yeah, maybe someday. I mean, my wife keeps telling me that I'm like destined for it, but I'm like, mm, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to teaching math.
0: Teaching people math isn't that like a isn't that a sales manager position? I'm a messy manager.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's an interesting math.
0: That discount doesn't look right.
1: There's going to have to be some element of education in whatever I do. Because I just... There's something about that. It doesn't necessarily have to be me teaching all the time, but I love learning. So the teaching and the learning, they feed one another. Yeah, I
0: think it's supporting people in their learning journey is another aspect of it, right? Mm -hmm. People are always growing. And they have things that they need to do to support that growth like you know themselves and they need help from other people to also support that growth that's kind of a a state that we're all in and you know ideally you have somebody you know who is your manager who's supporting you there as well yes indeed i guess i need to probably get to a point where i know what growth that i should be looking for i'm i'm still Still not sure. I'm sure that there's any number of job skills that I need to work on, but I'm not quite sure what steps to take. And again, probably should invest in those peer (laughs) one-on-ones.
1: Yeah. I think you'll learn real quick Mm -hmm. from those, from your boss, mix of the two. Yeah, And maybe feedback from the team.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's already helped immensely. Even just the idea of like, hey, what are the What are the criteria that we're being evaluated by? Like, oh, geez. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe we can check in on this process uh, periodically. I don't know how long it'll take for me to have a different opinion or to explain, you know, that I'm at a different place in my growth cycle in this position. But I think uh, maybe if we check in every six months or something like that, that, or at least, you know, talk about doing a check in every six months. Yeah. And
1: you know what? If you're listening to this and you have some feedback on how often you'd like to hear about John's progress, let's hear it. Tweet out the at nerd journey or leave a comment on the website on the episode.
0: Yeah. And if you want to, uh, if you want to mentor me, I'm, I'm open to that too.
1: Now seeking mentors. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, it's me and manager John. We'll see you later. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Journey.
0: Farewell listeners, tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at B Journeyman. Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd underscore. Signing off.
1: Adios.